With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Behind the Racket pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now. Hey, it's Mike here. Realized we didn't have a proper introduction of our guests, so I'm having to record this on just my computer, so apologies for the audio quality. But our guest this week is JC Aragoni, 25 years of age, born in Argentina but an American through and through. 282 in the world, career high at 224 back in 2018. Probably best known for when he qualified at the US Open a few years ago and talked about how he is a rare tennis player with type one diabetes. And we'll talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about his time at the University of Virginia as well. So here's the conversation Noah and I had with JC Aragoni. You are the first person uh, to be inside my house, JC, recording a podcast. And I, I want you to, even even when Noah was here last summer, we had to go to Starbucks because it was in the midst of quarantine times. And we were a little bit afraid of, of being without masks. So this is quite an honor. So, so welcome into my home. I wish I other people could see what I see because this is interesting. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if you look on the other side of that unicorn there, you see those are two Henry Loxanen uh, smashed rackets yeah, right actually. there. Those are uh, in Charlottesville of all places uh, when he went through five in like three days. So the two yeah. Henry Loxanen rackets Pretty right good. there. Next I think to, between uh, that and the rainbow pillar behind you yeah. that your daughter beautifully decorated in the massive Mount Gay uh, bottle. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, we, it's a little early for us to say that we're alcoholics here. 
Uh, do you need to take that from Nico? No. Okay. It's okay. It's just your doubles partner uh, that yeah, you're playing with. And yeah, it's his fault. He was up 5-1 in the third against Zeke Clark and one seven six, and now he's probably exhausted, <laughs> and we're probably going to lose doubles, but whatever. And welcome to Tulsa. Um, we, you and I both obviously just came from uh, the Challengers um, in Little Rock and Orlando. Um, just in terms of the mental side, JC, you come – and let's take the Nicholas Kicker draw aside because that's absolutely crazy. That <laughs> that's you'd, absurd. You have to deal with Nicholas Kicker in the first round here. Um, what's it like mentally kind of resetting and just when you drop down in that level to a 25K, how do you just kind of get your mind into game mode and I'm here to play this match no matter what level it is? I mean, it definitely helped that last week I did decently well because it's always depressing to go for like – on a losing streak and then having to play a future, that's for sure, I think, the worst. Um, but, like, just watching the matches, a lot of the guys here are, are challenger-level players. Like, Agreed. they have the... Like, you watch some of these matches, a good level. I think just the level of professionalism just seems a lot lower. Um, what do you so, mean by that? I don't know. You, I haven't seen a single guy in the gym this week, mm. maybe besides Strong, because he is the complete opposite. Everyone has to work out <laughs> 10 times a day, but... Uh, just things like that, like the physio's always open, like just things that normally at challengers you see getting used a lot more. Hmm. Um, you know, I went the other day to ask for a you know bucket of balls to hit serves, and the guy looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, "No, we haven't been giving used balls to anybody." And I'm just like, <laughs> "How this Thursday?" Yeah, you know, so just small things. Uh, and at the same time, the guys have the level. Yeah. Um, the other day I was watching Pondwith play, and his the guy showed up to his match 30 minutes late. And they let him mm. play. And I was like, how is this happening right now? Yeah. Like, you know, just things that you don't expect. But I guess that's future tennis. Um, that's probably why they aren't always playing at challengers. But they definitely have the level, yeah. which surprises me. Yeah. I, I have to ask. You're holding a different rack in your hand last week. <laughs> how? Please tell me how it went from... What you were using the Onyx? That was in between, right? If no, I dude. Mistaken. So I, I used to, so I used to use that Babolat, the yellow Bab, forever. The the lightsaber, right. the the bazooka, whatever you call it. <laughs> and they stopped making that racket, and I hated the new one. And whenever uh, I asked Babolat, they're like, "No, we don't paint them for players." And I just, I was like, "Man, I can't use the new one." And I just, ever since then, it's been a grind to find something that's similar. You know, the Yonix was pretty close, but. I don't know. I didn't. I, I just didn't feel great with it. And then the Wilson. The Wilsons just feel so good. Like you hit with it, and it feels amazing. But it doesn't work. Like I, I don't know what it is. Like if I was a club pro, it I would use it. I would use a blade because it feels like I can control the ball. But it just makes the opponent feel great. And but then, the JC Aragoni like second serve or first serve kick serve out wide with the bab is disgusting. Like that was the shot that I felt like. Yeah, definitely. When you switch rackets, like that was gone. Yeah, that was a little bit. But seeing you play last week with that, it feels like it's a little bit back. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just in Little Rock. I, I've been looking for these rackets for a while, and I, you know, I have some really beat up ones that you know I just kind of kept for a rainy day. But I, I just, you know, when you're like, man, I'm not there yet. Like, like kind of like a last <laughs> hope kind of thing. Like, I'm not there yet. Yeah, like I'm not there yet mentally because once they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> And I found four new ones, and I was like, nah, that's it. And in Little Rock, I was like, well, I can't just have them shipped to Orlando and literally get them Monday, play Monday. So I was like, what do I do? So I was like, oh, I'll ask Ernesto for one of his, which are the ones I don't like. But I was like, it'll be similar enough to I can practice. 
So I hit two days with his. I got them Monday morning, went out, played my match, <laughs> and that was it. You were hitting bombs. I mean, like, yeah, it everything. Makes a difference. But I feel awful with the racket. Really? Like, I feel awful. I don't know if the ball's going to the fence. I don't know where the ball is going. But when it goes in, it works. But like, all of a sudden, I feel a thousand times better. So It so, doesn't work. Okay, so how do for, for maybe, like, if you're an amateur and you're listening to that, like, it doesn't make sense. Right, like that 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 process doesn't make sense. So how how do you explain that that you don't know where it's going to go from shot to shot? I don't know what it is with that racket, but it just it has so much power. It's almost like, you know, this one could go in, this one could go out. Like the Wilson, (laughs) I could hit twenty balls in the same location. It feels good. It looks good, but it's just not an effective shot. With this battle, I, I don't know where it's going. Truly, I'm just like, all right, hit it cross court. Just hit it cross court. <laughs> Neither and then, does the opponent. Yeah, so seems to work. And I, I honestly, in Orlando, I felt way less tired than mm. all my other matches. Really? Like, that's what caused me to switch. I was like, I'm playing these amazing matches, long points, but I can't finish the, like, I couldn't mm. finish the point. So, like, I was having these wars that if you look at it, you're like, wow, what a great match, but just kept losing. Yeah. So I was that was it for me. Yeah, you've you have <laughs> you have had some some losing streaks mixed in, like some extended losing streaks over the last couple of years yeah. mixed with these like really good performances. Like how how are you sane? Like how are you, how are you mentally okay right now? <laughs> or are you mentally okay? <laughs> I think that's the better question. What do you <laughs> I mean, it just it, the way tennis works sometimes is like it's weird. It's it, you know, you're not feeling great, and all of a sudden you get a couple easy draws, and you don't take advantage of them because you're not confident, whatever. And then you finally find it, and you get some BS draws. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Like, you know, like sometimes, like like yesterday, I'm feeling confident, playing great, and I still lose 6-3 in the third to a guy who hasn't lost a match in three weeks. Like, yeah. that's not because it's I'm playing bad. It, top 75 player in the world. So th- yeah. that's what I'm saying is, like, you kind of have to almost strap in for when the the time comes because a lot of times you're in the low and you get the matches that you want when you're in the highs mm-hmm. and when you're at the high. I mean, huh. I, I don't know if that's the right way to think about it because if you're a good tennis player, you win matches. But it, in my opinion, that's just how it is too because I've seen a lot of these 10-week losing streaks where it's like, man, those three weeks I had opportunities, I didn't take advantage of them. And then that seven weeks where it's like you, know, you get a wild card guy who's 70 in the world or you get a guy who just won a challenger and you're just like, what? I think you're on the you're on the right page though I think besides the top 10 players that are consistently you know winning more than they're losing you know you're looking at guys that are even 50 in the world and they're taking their opportunities they could lose four five six weeks you see them time and time again and then they have that one week you know I think the last one I saw was Opelka you know had a few tough ones and then comes out of nowhere and then you can get that so it is I, I actually a funny way to put it but yeah you get the matches when you don't want them and you just have to make sure you're ready for that yeah and then you have injuries a lot of times you're playing in places you do, like conditions these days are so different which is what i have an issue with the challenger tour i feel like the atv tour is very not very similar but at least they're playing on conditions that are similar speeds i mean challenger tour you can get one week super slow and the next week was just lightning quick courts like they don't resurface courts they don't care it's just i think it's a lot different Talking on the mental side again, I want to go back a little bit. You know, we traveled together a decent amount during the ITFs, and, and you were playing extremely well. What was your high ranking at that time? In juniors? In the ITFs? Yeah, in juniors. I think I was outside 100. I, I, I didn't play too many juniors, but... Um, 
I, I remember you playing some. I played some slim I qualities you, and. Right, I remember you playing some good. Remember in Mexico, you're playing some really good tennis. Took out some top guys, and then going into UVA, I think was an interesting transition for you. You know, somebody that I rated really high, you know, playing really well, and you kind of on that verge of playing six. I mean, walk us through what that was like for you. You know, being you know definitely a top junior in the U.S. and then you know playing low on a college team. Yeah, I I think. It was all a weird transition because that was right after my whole health scare. So I think a lot of guys would have taken it probably different just because their only focus was tennis. I had so much shit going on. Like I had no idea how to manage going out with type 1 diabetes, how to even talk about it with teachers, how to play tennis with it. So like I was kind of just happy to get the chance to play. Mm. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I was playing six and I think for the first semester and I, no the first six months I didn't play like not even right. not six months but you know my first couple of months I started against Notre Dame after indoors after all that stuff and I think it was just tough mentally because we had such a good team and being such a good junior you kind of expect to play but I was so preoccupied with so many different things I think it almost made the time go by quicker. So, like, when I didn't get called, I just was, like, whatever, because I had a gazillion different things going through my mind that I needed <laughs> to, to solve so I could stay alive and survive the college life. We're going to get to the kind of the medical side here, but I, I, I need to ask about Brian Boland because, like, there I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in the right way so we don't, <laughs> like, go down to, like, a, a – but there have obviously been a lot of stories that have come out over the last couple of years, uh, you know, with him going to Waco and, and some different things. And, and yet at the same time, everybody wanted to play for him, like in that stretch when you were getting recruited. And I'm just wondering what, what that experience was like, what, what your recollection is like and how you've kind of reacted to what's happened in his career over the last two, three years. Well, I think the best way to describe Brian is, I was literally sitting down here in Tulsa the other day, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, Will Little, he played mm -hmm. at, his mm -hmm. mom came up to me, Okay. and obviously he went to Baylor, and she started talking about how you know great UVA was, whatever, and Brian came up, because I was like, oh, was he on the team when Brian was there? Mm -hmm. And after everything that's kind of come out, the only thing she said was, Brian is the best motivator I've ever, mm. you know? So like, Brian clearly, he's really good at what he does, he's, you know, great. He's a great coach in the sense that he knows how to manage everyone's role. Like mm -hmm. on the team, he, you know, whether you were the sixth guy, the one guy, whether you're the trainer, he knew how to maximize everyone's potential. And I'm not just saying right on the tennis court. I'm yeah. saying just in general in life. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what he's going through. I don't know exactly why he did what he did. Um, at UVA, obviously, I never saw anything like that from yeah. him. He, he was definitely, if anything, he maybe showed us too much good. Like, mm. he always wanted you to think that everything's great. You know, yeah. life is amazing. So, I don't know if he ever really let us see into what he was going yeah. through, if he was struggling with something. If the, Like, we never saw it firsthand, which, yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, think of, like, kids with their parents. Like, he probably is showing you what he wants you to see, which... Yep. I guess hurts me a little because I would have loved to know the true Brian, like what he's going through. Um, but that's also why he helped us stay so sane and so positive and so happy because he almost took that on himself. Like I'm sure all the, the tough 
things we were going through, he kind of took as a burden and he tried to take away from us and help us win and, you know, help us love each other and not kill each other because we were on a, te- a team with, you know, hot heads and yes. crazy players. And um, <laughs> But enough about Ty. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say his name. <laughs> No, I, I I will say this, and you know, not just Brian, but the the stress of being a college head coach, no matter what sport, is just it's a stress that I can't even fathom. Having to consistently recruit and then also at the same time consistently manage personalities of young men and women who are eighteen to twenty one, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. To That's be why perfectly sometimes honest. good tennis players are terrible college coaches. Yeah, not not terrible college coaches, terrible head coaches. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of great assistant coaches yep because they don't have to worry about all the other exactly stuff but um but yeah like i i think brian can't hit two ball like <laughs> if he hears this he's gonna be like oh i can, can kick your butt but he, he can't there's no okay. way so I, I i have hope of being a head coach good um so you, you mentioned your medical scare and i know that's one thing we really wanted to kind of get into today you know you mentioned that this this diagnosis came for you at 16 walk us through kind of the initial stages how things presented themselves with type 1 diabetes. So, you know, how, how, how this diagnosis came about, early symptoms, get, get through that for, for us. Yeah, so everyone's heard of kind of my original uh, health scare, which left me in a coma, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, you know, that was my initial kind of fight to stay alive. And then once I got through with that, I was like, all right, I'm in the clear, I'm good. Um, took me another probably six months, seven months to even get back to playing. I was happy. And then I start playing, and I think my first tournament back was uh, Kalamazoo, and I actually mm-hmm. played Jordan Daigle first round, who was coming to UVA. And I just felt terrible. I just remember walking out there, and I was chugging water like no other. I had to go to the bathroom like four times. Like, I just felt bad. I felt dizzy. And you get your, you know, I haven't played a tournament in two years. What I thought that was normal. And I ended up flying home, went straight to the hospital, got some blood work, and that's when they told me, hey, you have type 1 diabetes. And I guess it was just all the stress I'd been through that last year on my body. It was just kind of, it happens, I guess. Same thing with how, you know, pregnant women sometimes get diabetes. It's just your body is under so much stress mm-hmm. that it, it you know, unfortunately, it's one of the diseases that appears. And, of course, that was difficult because, you know, you kind of feel confused at times, like, I had been through so much, so when they were like, oh, you're going to be fine, you're going to live, I was like, okay, whatever, like, it's, it's fine. Oh, you know, all right, I'm going to live. It's fine. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Okay. All right. okay. I'd already been poked and stabbed for so many months that, yeah. I, like, what's another injection? So it didn't really hit me probably for another year and a half because always, so when you get diagnosed type 1, you go through this honeymoon phase, which is basically your pancreas is slowly dying, if anything. Not dying, the cells are, so, so it's like, you're fine, and then you slowly get worse and worse and worse and worse. So the first six months, I was fine, and then after that, I had to go to college. So mm. it was like I had no learning curve. You know, my parents were stressed as hell. I was just at home. I wanted to go to college and be a normal kind of student athlete. The technology at the time, I'm going to say this because I don't know what it was 20 years ago, but it was terrible in my eyes. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was really difficult. And then at UVA, you know, the coaches try to help, everyone try to help, and nobody, you know, like unless you have somebody close by that or someone in your family has it, you don't really know much about it. So, I mean, I just remember the first week I got to, to UVA, I, 
that my insulin has to be refrigerated and I didn't have a, a fridge in my dorm. So oh I put it, I put it in, in, uh, I put it in Scott Brown. No, sorry. Andres Pedroso's fridge. And, and I'm going, That's I'm hanging out with insulin. the guys. Yeah. I'm hanging with the guys and my, I lose my insulin pen. So I call Andres. I'm like, Andres, I need to get into your house. He's like, well, I'm out with my wife. Like, well, they're far away. They're like an hour away. They're like, I can't help you. Like, uh, Scott has a key. Call Scott. So I call Scott. Doesn't pick up because he's useless. Like, keeps calling Scott. Doesn't pick up. Doesn't pick up. I'm, like, feeling terrible. Like, yeah. my blood sugar is going through the roof. And Andres is panicking because Andres, again, he's like, oh, my God, it's the first week. Jesse's going to die on me. He's like, tell me, break my window. You can get in there. Like, tell me. I'm like, Andres, I'm not going to. He's like, break it. Get the key. I can like, actually I hear his voice in my head yeah, right just now. Just the full panic. <laughs> And that was the next day. I had a fridge in my dorm. Yeah, I bet. The, the Andres was like, "I'm not dealing with this ever again." You take like, <laughs> so that was just kind of like my my story of college. It was a disaster. I don't know how like a pe like parents ask me like, "Oh, how'd you deal with the drinking? How'd you do?" I, I tell them like, "Oh, I'm, I was an expert basically. I had no freaking idea. Like mm -hmm. I could have died any at any second." But you kind of just learn, and I I don't know. It's it's like anything, but it definitely isn't easy because. You don't want to be at you know out with your friends telling them, hey guys, like if I don't feel like you want to be part of the the group and right. part of the normal and especially when I was just new at this, so it's not like I my whole life I didn't have a single friend. Like people are like, oh you had a die buddy in college. I'm like I don't know really, what's a die buddy. No, I had my insulin pen. That was it. Noah's always so been my die buddy actually, but it's a little different. <laughs> he just always needs a Twix bar every once in a while. <laughs> you know I can't eat um, Twix. I'm gluten free. Come on, God, that's been the problem. That's been a problem. Um, no, I mean taking the tennis aside for a second, but how have you managed this as a person? How have you seen yourself kind of evolve and mature before the diagnosis to now? I mean, that's got to you know you must feel like you're. 60, you know, not, not body wise, yeah. but, but mentally at times. Is that true? Yeah. Well, I, like the, the last year, maybe year, last year and a half has been a huge kind of transformation for me because first I, so before I think that, that carry that I made semis, that yeah. was the last tournament that I, I was actually giving myself injections. Was that 2019? 2019 right? yeah. or 20, yeah, or it might've been the year. I don't know. One of, it was at carry was. The last tournament because before then I used to always give myself injections and I had this whole issue with the ATP how they didn't want me to give myself injections on court and that was right when I switched to this pump I have is this tandem pump and I was like how am I going to be able to play with this because if they have issues with injections what are they going to say about wearable technology and we finally found a solution where you know they let me play with with an insulin pump which for me changed everything like I actually have control now I I know exactly kind of how to monitor my blood sugar before the matches going with a pen, with an insulin pen. It's just kind of like the wild west. Like I'm mm. going in there with no insulin on board. I'm just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really not that easy. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the, the beginning. Then I started realizing that, you know, okay. Uh, let me put this in simpler terms. When you play tennis matches and when you practice it's two different things with diabetes, when I practice, I have zero stress, zero hormones. I tend to go low if anything, because okay. I'm working out, your body's using your sugar, there's insulin in your body, so I tend to go low. When I play matches, complete opposite. I go super high because you're stressed, you're nervous, your body releases all these hormones, releases sugar, so I go through the roof. So I was playing, you know, every match in the middle, mid-300s, high four, like 400s, which is horrendous for your, 
your health. It's okay. not good at all. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start working with a diabetes coach. And it's been over a year now, and this guy's helped so much. It's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize, but a lot of the times I would lose tennis matches because I didn't have my, my diabetes under control because mm. it would cause so much anxiety. You know, I was playing matches, stressed about my diabetes. I didn't want to call the physio because I'm not that kind of guy. Everything was kind of having an impact. So I was all the time just on high alert, not even thinking about what I'm supposed to do on the tennis court. Instead thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Do I give myself insulin? Is the insulin going to make me crash too much? You know, it's all kind of a balancing act because yeah. it's not so, okay, do this and this is going to happen. So it definitely has helped me a lot, but I didn't really quite understand how much of a of an impact diabetes has had on my mental health, I guess, because yeah. it's made me... Like, there's just tendencies I have now that I've developed from, I mean, I, I look at a, uh, a number all day long. Imagine mm -hmm. how nuts that, that makes you. Like, yeah. I check my blood sugar 100, 200 times a day. Like, it, at some point, you go nuts because it starts affecting your, you know, when I'm high, I'm mad that I'm high. When yep. I'm low, I'm mad. that. So, it's like your well-being is being affected by a number. And it happens on the court. It happens before. Uh, you know, it's happened... Before I start a match, I see that I'm low and I get so much anxiety because I'm like, oh my God, I got four minutes to fix this. What am I going to do? I got to go. I'm supposed right. to be on the... So it's like... It you takes can't focus your, on a match. It takes your your mind completely in a different direction. So having, you know, this diabetes coach who's helped me had kind of a routine, figure it out. I mean, it's a lot of work. Like now, if I... Whenever I play, I need to make sure I eat and give myself insulin three hours before any sort of physical activity. Mm. So when I go on the court, I know I have no insulin that could just you know, accelerate because of the sport or like everything has to be accounted for. Mm. You know, I eat a lot healthier during the day. My diets change a lot, but it works. Yeah. And it's definitely helped kind of at, le at least calm down a little bit more and be able to play my matches. But for a while, now that I look at back at it, I, I was a, a mess. I mean, I think it's tough for anybody. I mean, you're just coming into this, but have you found that sense of community? You know, I did a, a behind the racket story with Kareem Mamoun and he has type 1 diabetes as well. Do you have a community in the world of tennis, or is it kind of your own little circle that you entrust with? Uh, so, again, when I first started with the insulin pump, um, I started with them because, again, I, I really I met somebody in the company, and they seem like a very family-oriented uh, business. And then I started... Through them, I started meeting different groups. And like, for example, next week, I'm going to Orlando. Not next week, the 5th. I'm going to Orlando for a week, and I'm doing children with diabetes. Mm. So it's a big event in Disney World where they bring in like, usually it's like 3,000 kids. I think now it might be 1,000 they capped yeah. it out because of COVID. And it's great because it's a bunch of these other type 1 diabetics who kind of struggle, and you do different groups and sessions and I you know I'm a speaker for one of them and then I have like an outdoor activity and I help them play tennis and it's a really cool needed you know event that before I would have never you know like when I was 16 17 I, I didn't know that there was diabetes camp and these kids go to diabetes camp and they love it and they're so happy um, so I guess just starting working with these companies shows you know it's like you start with this company and then you work for another company and everybody kind of brings you to different events and you meet different people and you meet the parents and they're all kind of going through the same thing so mm. um, even though you know you are working for a company and you're there representing them at the same time it brings me a lot of joy because I get to you know experience different journeys that 
someone with the same condition has. Well, I mean, talk about what's happening here in Tulsa, your housing. Yeah, so I, I basically, somebody reached out randomly and said, hey, I heard saw you're on the Tulsa acceptance list. My daughter has diabetes. We play tennis. Do you want to house, you know, stay with us? And I was like, this is Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know what could happen, but you know what? If it if there's a 2% chance that this is real and I can help somebody, might as well. And she's, you know, with the little girl's six years old and the mom's all stressed and, I, you know, it's difficult. I can imagine. And plus, she's, she's a girl. So, you know, that was another thing that I didn't realize is how many, how different it is, you know, being a female diabetic and a mic, you know, when I went to these events, the girls were always asking me, oh, how do you feel about, you know, all the sugar you eat when you're low? Like, do you not worry about your weight? And I, the first time somebody asked me that, I was like, no, what are you talking yeah. about? And then, you know, I get asked, oh, when you wear a tuxedo, where do you put your pump? Because when I wear a dress, you know, it shows, like, it's just a completely <laughs> yeah. different way of thinking about things, but it, it, it's really tough. Yeah. So it, it, it's helped me that I've been able to stay with them because I get to, you know, try to at least help even though I lost first round here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so as you're as you're moving forward here JC I mean like like you said now that you're working with a, a diabetes coach you this this pump has obviously made quite an impact on you as well do you feel like you're now almost and the racket change you're like at a point where like maybe everything can start to be like things are coming together yeah, like on one direct path that allows you just to play just to play tennis as silly as that might yeah. sound well so the, when I first got, my mentality has changed a lot. When I first got di diabetes, I was always on the mentality of, okay, I can't wait till we get a cure because mm -hmm. I felt the technology was so bad. I felt like I had no help. Now I have, the technology has been so much better yeah. that like, for example, my pump now, it has a system where when I'm high, it gives me extra insulin. When I'm low, it shuts off. Yeah. So it's like doing things for me that before, you know, I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. So now I'm in a mentality where, okay, I feel like the technology is there where it can help me do what I want to do before I felt like I'm totally lost. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. So I'm now at this point, I'm okay with the fact that I'm diabetic. I would love a cure, but I'm not like before where I was like every year, like, okay, is this the year? So it gives me a lot more peace of mind that, you know, okay, maybe this, I can focus on the tennis. It's hard to talk about this because a lot of people don't, you know, people just think, okay, you go on the court and you play tennis and it, it, it you know, I, I think, a, I, I don't have the strongest mental ability, and B, I got this really tough disease that I also have to think about. Like, if I had Brandon Nakashima's mental capacity, maybe I could deal with that and and the, the diabetes. Don't we all but, wish. I would, um, I would be running Tennis Channel right now. Somehow. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, I definitely think with all this, I, I can definitely make the next step, but I think the most important thing is the racket. <laughs> After everything... It's just like a bab, you know, it's just a bab line. I just need the right bab and everything would be completely fine. Well, it was fine. funny because my wife kept saying like, no, is, this is just in your head. It's just in your head. And then I won a match. She was like, ah, it's just in your head. Then I win another match. She goes, don't you ever switch from that right <laughs> it's like, okay. She is the smart one in the family. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, JC, I, I appreciate you. Um, uh, let's see. My cat did try. Uh, Noah, I, my, my cat did try to attack yeah. him. Uh, tried to reach oh. up through the shorts. Uh, he's nice. met normal. He's met Jamie the Frog, um, not your Jamie, Jamie Loeb. Uh, Jamie Loeb's <laughs> yes. favorite. That's that's Marnie's favorite tennis player, okay. not Noah. Uh, so she named a, a frog after Jamie Loeb. You've met my frog. I mean, this is this is quite a day. This is yeah, he brought yeah. me coffee. I mean, 
Oh really? my god, man! You can't get much better except for if you find maybe if you find a camp for Mike. I feel like if you get one of these camps just for like forty year olds, like slightly overweight men, like it would be really great for everybody. Noah, I think you saying slightly overweight is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I'm betting on is, is no relevance, but somebody brought up and like Noah, how tall are you, by the way? And I said, Oh, I'm five nine. They're like. I swear, from listening to your podcast, I thought you were five foot two. Mike, literally, every time he starts the podcast, he's like, oh, here's my short friend, or this is short. Lil. I say Lil. I'm taller than you. Eh, not true. (laughs) Uh, That's something we should... Well, I'm I'm on the way down, though, JC. Like, every year now, I'm just starting to fall. I've hit that point. That's uh, financials and everything else. My my neighbor, by the way, uh, she's like four four houses down. She's making I hate Noah Rubin shirts. So if you want one, you just let me know. She's That's, she we does. We can a give them out to all the tennis players. The amount of it's people not, who it's wear them. Not a joke. You should <laughs> put them on your site. Like, <laughs> wait, I mean, you know, I still want to make money, so we can't be done with this. You got to sell this stuff. You got to give the people what they want. His, my double his, partner. Yeah, you talking. you take that. That's how, that's how important. Yeah, you, I am in doubles. Go ahead, not and, in singles. Go ahead and take doubles. that because we'll we'll wrap up. I'll wrap up with Noah here. I'll All shut right. off your microphone All so right. so I can just say goodbye with with Noah here. I'll shut off him and uh, thanks thanks for stopping by from Minnesota. Uh, yeah, good to talk to you. You were supposed to be here in Tulsa. Uh, that didn't work. I know didn't work out. I miss you. Yeah, I don't think you. Yeah. Did. No, I mean, I can only say so many times until, you know, <laughs> actions speak louder than words. <laughs> Someday. Uh, let's see. So we've got JC this week, and I think we'll have uh, Gonzalo Oliveira on our next podcast uh, coming up in a week as well. So for Noah, my Cation signing off. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Racket pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.